You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. What does Sputnik have to do with student loans? How did a set of trembling hands end the Soviet Union? How did inflation kill moon bases? And how did a former president decide to run for a second non-consecutive term? These are among the topics we deal with on the My History Can Beat Up Your Politics podcast. We tell stories of history that relate to today's news events. Give a listen. My History Can Beat Up Your Politics wherever you get podcasts. Hello, and thank you for joining this special edition of the American Revolution. I had the opportunity this week to go to Quakertown, Pennsylvania, for the grand opening of the store Liberty & Co. I got to speak with the owner of the store, Tyson France, who you probably know is an advertiser on this show. We talked about the local history of Quakertown and Bucks County generally, some interesting topics such as the walking purchase, Freeze Rebellion, the Doan Gang, and the smuggling of the Liberty Bell out of Philadelphia during the British occupation. I had a great time, and this was my first ever attempt at recording a podcast episode on site. I'll apologize in advance if the audio quality isn't quite what you're used to. I did have to use a spatial mic on the site, and there was a lot of background noise because we were recording in the shop while it was open for business. That said, I think we had an interesting talk, a lot of people showed up, and we generally had a good time. So without further ado, here is my recording of our live podcast in Quakertown, Pennsylvania. This episode is supported by the food delivery service, Factor. It's spring now, and we all want to spend more time outdoors, enjoying life, not the kitchen. Factor ensures you have fresh, never-frozen, chef-crafted, dietitian approved meals that you can prepare in just two minutes. Each week, you get a menu of 35 meal options, as well as 60 add-ons, including breakfasts, on-the-go lunches, snacks, and beverages. You can customize your orders to get as much or as little as you want each week and can pause or make changes to your orders at any time. Factor is less expensive than takeout and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. It's the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, upscale options done easily. Now they even have a special deal for fans of the American Revolution podcast. Head to factormeals.com ARP50 and use that code ARP50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next box. That's code ARP50 at factormeals.com ARP50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Hello, and thank you for joining the American Revolution. We're here today live on Broad Street in Quakertown to celebrate the opening of Liberty & Company. I'm here today with Tyson Franz, a longtime friend of the show and the owner of Liberty & Company. Welcome, Tyson. Hello, everybody. Great to be here. So what was the inspiration for opening a brick-and-mortar store after having such a successful website? It's pretty simple. I ran out of room in my house. (laughs) Well, that's good. It's a nice place. Got a lot of great t-shirts, I guess, is what you started with. Yeah, it started out as a t-shirt company, and that was all it was ever supposed to be, and then my ambitions got the best of me and I started coming up with ideas for mugs and whiskey glasses and then candles. Uh, you know, pour, pouring candles was never part of my 
you know, career path, but didn't there, study here, that in college. Here we are. Yeah, no, it wasn't wasn't one of my expertise. But uh, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm excited to have a real you know brick and mortar and looking forward to see what comes of it. Great. So what got you excited or interested in the American Revolution to begin with? I think for like like a lot of people, it was probably somewhere in like fourth grade, just learning about it in, in school and just, you know, ideas and the visions of that time just sort of grew over time. And then uh, I moved to Boston in 2010, which is, you know, one of the epicenters of the revolution. So uh, kind of surrounded by it at, at all times. And uh, that's where the idea for Liberty and Company actually happened was when I was living in Boston. So, yeah. Yeah, we in Pennsylvania like to say that Boston started the war, Pennsylvania finished it. <laughs> yep, yep. But yeah, very true. It's obviously a very exciting time, something I'm very, very excited about for years. Mostly today, I wanted to talk a little about the local history of yep. Quakertown and Bucks County, uh, particularly around the Revolutionary War era. Is there anything particular you know about that? Well, the one thing I do know, and I, I do uh, intend to do a lot more in-depth research on some of the local history, uh, there's actually a few stories. The, the most prominent, I think, is right down the street here on Broad Street, uh, across the street from the Red Lion Inn, is the Liberty Tavern. Right. And uh, the Liberty Bell actually stopped there uh, for a night on its way up to Allentown, where, where it was hidden for um, a period of time in 1777. Right. This um, was when the British... Invaded yeah. and occupied Philadelphia, and probably would have threatened, would have melted down the bell for ammunition if they had found it. Exactly. So they had to smuggle it out of the city. So the the story that I understand is the troops that were associated with that convoy, essentially, they stayed or they camped out behind the Liberty Tavern, and across the street in the Red Lion Inn is where the officers slept for the night. So that's that's one cool story. Another really interesting story that I really want to do some more research on because it's actually associated with the loyalist side is the Doan gang. And they were a group of brothers and cousins who essentially stole from the rebels and gave to the loyalists or the you know British army. Right. Um, horses in particular. They were actually known as horse thieves. So that's that's another story. And then uh, the John Freeze Rebellion is another story that I in, uh, intend to do some more research on. So those are the, the, the three more you know prominent stories for this immediate area anyway. Yeah, I think that's right. This area was, in the colonial era, known as the Great Swamp. Uh, there was not a lot of settlement uh, in and around Quakertown. Uh, it was mostly Native American area. Uh, I think Quakertown really had only maybe a dozen or two dozen houses when it first got its post office in 1803. So it wasn't a whole lot going on here during the American Revolution. As you said, there was a house here where they, they hid the Liberty Bell on its way up to Allentown. Yeah. It was, house uh, in a tavern, at least. We know that. Yeah. Yeah. I think there was a church. There were, there were a few things here. The Liberty Bell eventually went up to Allentown. was hidden in uh, Zion Reform Zion Church. Reform, yep. Yeah. That's yep. right. There's a nice little museum there, by, by the way. Uh, not a lot of people know that. Oh, up at the church? Yeah, up at the church. Nice. I think it's donation only. It might be free. Don't quote me on that, but uh, definitely something worth, worth uh, checking out. Yeah. Especially for kids. The Doan Gang, which you mentioned too, is mm -hmm. a, 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 another really interesting piece it of really local history. I, yeah. I've really compared them a lot to the uh, Jesse James and his mm -hmm. James Younger Gang after the Civil War. Uh, these folks, which, you know, they, they ended up on the losing side of that war. The <laughs> yeah. Doans ended up on the losing side of the American Revolution. They were loyalists. They actually came from a Quaker family. Quakers tended to be pacifists and also tended to believe in uh, the divine right of kings, that 
you should not question the authority of the king. So they, yeah. they tended to be loyalists by nature. But the Dones got in a lot of trouble with the local patriots. They refused to sign loyalty oaths. They refused to pay taxes to the mm. patriot tax collectors, that sort of thing. And they ended up having their, their family farm seized and oh. taken by the patriots. So I think the Dones, before the house was actually seized, were already outside the law, shall we say. Yeah. Moses Doan, I know, went off and lived with Indian tribes for huh. Uh, much of his early years growing up. He apparently did not get along with his father very well. <laughs> okay. Uh, I, I believe at the Doan Distillery in the back of the trolley barn here, there's actually a cocktail named after Moses Doan. Oh, really? I, ca okay. I can't remember what's in it, but I remember seeing that on, on the menu. <laughs> Interesting fact. Yeah, he was kind of the leader of the gang. And, oh, was he? Okay. Uh, he, uh, as I said, yeah, he, he was a loyalist, but I think more than that, he was just very anti-authoritarian, and mm. the Patriots were kind of an authority here at the time. Okay. And uh, they went after, they liked to go after, um, you, you mentioned they were horse thieves. They liked to capture people's mm -hmm. horses, which they sold to the British Army. Yeah. They also went after uh, tax collectors, patriot tax collectors, mm -hmm. whom they had resisted themselves. They would rob them or chase them off or do all sorts of things in that line as well. Mm -hmm. And I think in 1781, they even actually captured the county treasury. Oh, a bunch of money. It was over a thousand pounds sterling, which was a lot of money at the time. Uh, and that money was never recovered, by the way. So it's kind of a local oh, no way. thing that there's this cache of silver yeah. somewhere in Bucks County wow. that no one's ever found. So that's fascinating. I mean, that's that's a that's a movie plot there if I've ever heard one. I mean, yeah, yeah, the, the story. There's there's a whole lot of lore that goes along with the Doan gang, which we don't know if it's entirely true or not, but one of the stories is, is they went up to New York City uh, when the British first occupied there, and that the Doans worked as local scouts for the British in New York City, and it's purported, I don't know if there's any truth to this or not, that Moses Doan is the one who found the Jamaica Pass on Long Island that allowed the British to get around the American army at the Battle of Brooklyn and, and win that battle. I Highly tend to doubt that, but I've read it in several places, okay. so I'll pass it along as, a, <laughs> as an unapproved yeah. uh, story. There's an, another story that Moses Doan was the Tory who warned Colonel Rawl at Trenton that Washington was on his way on Christmas night, 1776. Again, I've seen no corroborating evidence for that, but I have seen it in a lot of local histories. Well, that would be something. So, but he was a very active scout for the British. He did a lot of things. As I said, he had grown up with the with the local tribes, and so he was very comfortable living out in nature, away from the authorities who wanted to arrest him. And so, yeah, Moses Stone made it through the entire war. An outlaw had a bounty on his head, and he was actually not arrested, but a, a posse caught up, caught up with him in 1783, uh, the same year that the war finally ended. And he was killed trying to escape the posse. So that's how he okay. uh, wow. met his fate. All right, wow. But yeah, he's, he's, a, he's a really interesting character. You're right. It would be a, a great topic for a movie. <laughs> really? Well, I mean, kind of uh, the opposite of the cold perspiring. I don't know if the Dones were quite as you know organized with ciphers or codes or anything like that, but sounds kind of similar to that. Yeah, they were more, I would put them more in line with uh, the Swamp Fox on the other side, okay. Francis and Mary in <laughs> South Carolina. Yeah, they, yeah. Were, they were kind of outlaws who were hiding, 
gotcha. in trouble gotcha. with the law, but definitely on one side of the war and, okay. and strongly supporting it. Yeah, two of his brothers, I believe, were hanged after the war uh, for supporting the British. Uh, another one, I think, fled to New York and left with the British. Another one actually went to New Jersey and lived under an assumed name as a school teacher for many years. And he was eventually found out and had to flee to Canada. No. Oh, okay. So yeah, yeah. Don't gang. So. An interesting bunch. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's for sure. I know that there's actually a production company in town that's uh, pitching a, a movie or a TV show or a miniseries or something like that. Um, I think it's called The Original Outlaws or something. Um, I, I don't know that they've really gotten any traction on it yet, but I, I think if you search up on Facebook, The Original Outlaws, uh, they've, they've even done some filming. I don't know. Hopefully, one day it gets picked up because I would love to see that you know become something, some some sort of you know production. Absolutely, it's a very interesting story. You know, it's you know okay. it's all the oh, okay. elements yeah, of a good story. Treasure. I didn't, I didn't yeah. know about the treasure. And missing treasure and <laughs> violence and love and yeah, yeah girlfriends and really? all sorts of yeah. things. So yeah, it's, it's a perfect, really cool story. Um, yeah. A really interesting piece of local history that's overlooked. As you mentioned, there's yeah, a, in the building we're in right now at 116 East Broad Street in Quakertown uh, has a bar called the Dome Distillery. Are they an actual distillery? Do they yes. Distill their own yeah, actually, yep. Wow. Yep. So, yeah, it's interesting. They have the stills. Uh, it's actually a really cool space. If you're local, come and, come and check it out. I know that they're still aging their whiskey. It has a little bit yet to go, but um, I know that everything else is, is already pouring. So, yeah. Very cool. Yeah, the other big local yes. event, event you mentioned, which actually happened after the revolution, but still 18th century, so we'll count it, mm. is the Fry's Rebellion yeah. with uh, John Fry's or Johan Fry's. Mm. Uh, you want to talk about that at all? I, I would not pretend to know much about it. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if you have more information. but uh, Yeah, Fry's was a, a German-American. At the time, the area we're in, Bucks County, was well, Quaker Town was originally settled by Quakers, as you might guess by the name, who were English-speaking folks. But it was a relatively small outpost, and this entire region in the 1720s, 30s, 40s, and 50s got settled by German-speaking farmers, almost all of which came from the Palatine region of Germany. It wasn't a Germany at the time, but... Uh, what is today the Palatine state within Germany, which is in southern Germany, uh, near, I believe, Switzerland and France. So they all settled in this area, and they're known as, we call them today the Pennsylvania Dutch, which mm -hmm. is, of course, a bastardization of the word Deutsch for German. Uh, so, yeah, everyone who lived in this area was German-speaking, and they lived here for many generations uh, and continue to speak German. Uh, my, my family actually descends from Palatine immigrants who settled here in Bucks County in the 1720s and 30s. Wow. And my family spoke German as its first language until my great-grandfather uh, in the early 20th century. And he was forced to switch, as most did, when World War One happened because speaking German was considered right. disloyal and people really bit the bullet and began switching to English then, except for a couple groups of Mennonites and Amish yeah, yeah. who still carry on the tradition. <laughs> uh, but anyway, yeah, so John Fries was a German-speaking Pennsylvanian who was born in Pennsylvania, lived in Pennsylvania his whole life. In 1798, America was about to go to war with its former ally, France. Uh, it's something that was known as the Quasi-War, which started as the, the French Revolution had spun out of control. They had gone through the reign of terror. 
the government had become rather corrupt and was demanding bribes from American officials. And as a result of our outrage at this affront to our nationality, we were going to go to war with France. And John Adams called on George Washington to once again reprise his role as commander in chief. He uh, was appointed as a general in the United States Army. Of course, he'd been general of the Continental Army before that. Uh, Washington, of course, was an old man by this time. He was mm-hmm. pushing 60, if not 60. And he appointed uh, one of his former aides to camp to be the real commanding officer of this army that was being built for the quasi-war. That aide to camp was Alexander Hamilton. So they were putting together an army, and they were fully expecting to go to war with France and sail a large fleet over to Europe or attack a lot of French places in the Americas. It was going to be a full-scale war. And, of course, to have a war, you need money. And so the government passed a new tax. In this case, they passed a property tax. It was actually a tax on both land and slaves. And because Pennsylvania did not have many slaves by this time, because it had it had outlawed slavery, but it was still phasing it out. So there were still a few, but not very many. Uh, the tax was primarily on homes and property, and the locals decided that this was unconstitutional because the federal constitution says the federal government can only tax uh, based on population, and this was this was a tax being levied directly on people based on their wealth, specifically the value of their homes. So they had a pretty good case for why it was unconstitutional. The federal government didn't seem to care and was going forward with the taxation. So they did what the previous generation had done during the American Revolution when someone tried to levy a tax on them that they didn't like, was they brought out their guns, called out the local militia, and tried to chase off the tax collectors. Uh, Well, actually, they get to collection. These are the tax assessors at the time that were going around. And uh, so John Fries uh, led a militia of about 100 men who went after the assessors and essentially told them to get out of town or they were going to see the wrong end of their muskets. Mm -hmm. Uh, The federal government responded harshly and sent in federal marshals to arrest those who were responsible. Quite a few were arrested and put in the local jail. And an even larger group of Pennsylvania Germans uh, turned out to break these folks out of jail. And so the rebellion was on, as such as it was. And at this point, Adams had had enough and sent in federal troops with militia from other areas, and they fully quashed the the rebellion. And this was was in 1799. John Fries and about three dozen other people were arrested. They were charged with treason, and they were tried and given various punishments. Uh, Fries and two or three of his lieutenants were sentenced to be hanged for treason. Uh, John Adams realized that this was probably a mistake, and in in 1800, a few months after the trial, he pardoned them and allowed them to return home. Mm. Adams basically said that these were ignorant Germans that really didn't know what was going on, and they were being used by the political opposition in Washington to stir up disinformation and fake news, as we call it today, uh, against his policies uh, for prosecuting the war. We should probably also mention that the quasi-war fizzled. The French essentially apologized, and we never actually went to war. So the 
the need for this ta these taxes were gone by this time as well. So all right, Adams pardoned the men and Fry's Rebellion passed into history. Uh, but there is actually, I know also here on Broad Street, a Fry's Rebellion Tavern. Have you ever, or Fry's no. Rebellion Kitchen, I think it's a Kitchen. restaurant. No, I don't believe I know about that. Yeah, I saw it online. I've never been there. Interesting. But um, I just wondered if that had any specific relationship to the events or whether they just no idea. pulled it from the name yeah. or what. Yeah. But yeah, so, yeah, Fry's Rebellion, part of Quaker Town's history. I mean, it was... Uh, I guess important enough to make uh, a uh, scene in the John Adams miniseries on HBO. There was that, you know, scene of, uh, you know, Washington and Adams, you know, arguing whether or not they should get involved. And um, that's, that's fantastic. Yeah, it was one of the biggest events for Adams' short four-year term as president. Uh, of course, Washington had put down the Whiskey Rebellion, also in Pennsylvania, a few years earlier when he was president. Uh, that was actually a much bigger rebellion that happened out further in wow. western I, Pennsylvania. I but, yeah, Washington was not shy about putting down rebellions. <laughs> yeah. I see you have Fry's Rebellion Red Lion Tavern. Is that yeah. is there a connection there? Yeah, they, uh, they actually met at Red Lion Tavern. That's oh. where they uh, conspired to okay. um, go off against the, the tax assessors. So, yeah, the Red Lion Tavern is a, a tavern here in on Broad Street in Quaker yeah. Town and one of the oldest buildings in the, in the town. Yeah, it's known as McCool's Tavern. And okay. I'm not sure if that's the current owner, but it's uh, McCool's at the Red Lion Inn. And on their menus, actually, if you go and eat there, there's a whole list of history, um, you know, dating back from, from the 1700s. All, in honor of the rebellion, do they ask you if you want fries with that? <laughs> you know, that's a really good point. <laughs> I don't know. I need to, I need to latch on to that. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think originally this area was part of the walking purchase. Is that right? Do you know? I think it was. I, I know I'm fairly certain the walking purchase. Yeah, it extends up to where uh, we live right now in, in the Lehigh Valley, uh, north northwest of here. Uh, up in the Pocono Mountains. Um, you know what? That's that's actually a great point. That's another story that I need to look into. I mean, yeah, that's a, that's another fascinating yeah. story for folks who aren't familiar with it. That, uh, when when William Penn first settled Pennsylvania, uh, another interesting story. He got, he actually got Pennsylvania from King Charles because uh, the king owed his father, Admiral William Penn, a whole lot of money, and he was also grateful to the admiral for his efforts during the English Civil War. Uh, so when his father died and William Penn was his heir, William, uh, who was a Quaker and had been jailed several times in England for being a Quaker and had actually been estranged from his father for the same fact, uh, nevertheless inherited his father's fortune as his firstborn son and had this debt from the king. Penn suggested, well, why don't you give me some land out to the west of New Jersey and we'll call it square. Uh, the king was eager to get rid of the debt without having to pay off a lot of gold and silver, and he was certainly eager to get rid of a troublesome Quaker that was causing him difficulties in England. So he said, sure, I'll give you Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania is actually named after William Penn's father, Admiral William Penn, not the man who actually founded the state. So anyway, they came and founded what became Philadelphia, and the surrounding area, uh, lower southeastern portion of the state. But this area around Bucks County was all still Indian territory a generation later. Uh, there was a small uh, legitimate outpost that had been purchased uh, around the area known as Durham. Uh, they created the Durham Iron Furnace there. 
uh, which is over near the Delaware River. But most of what is today Bucks County, uh, Northampton County, Lehigh County was all uh, settled by the Lenai Lenape Indians who were still very much living here. Uh, the uh, German immigrants I mentioned before, who among my ancestors, uh, came and moved in anyway and started in that long American tradition of just taking land from the Indians. Uh, so that was starting to become a problem because obviously the immigrants were moving in, the Indians were not terribly happy about it, uh, and they had to come to a settlement agreement. Uh, by this time, William Penn had died. We're talking 1730s. His son and nephew uh, were governing the colony of Pennsylvania. When the king gave Pennsylvania to William Penn, he gave it to them. He didn't allow them to govern it. It was their state. They owned it. And William Penn was the first governor, and he passed on the governorship to his son, just like a lord would pass on an estate to his son. And so the son and nephew of William Penn uh, were governing the state at this time. They came across an old what they called a treaty, which is of dubious origin, which essentially gave a huge amount of land north of Philadelphia to the colony, uh, taking it away from the Indians. And it was signed by several uh, Lenai Lenape chiefs. And there's a real question about what the treaty actually meant or how much land it gave or any of that stuff. But the Penn brothers decided that, or cousins decided that it meant that they could take all this land for the Indians. And part of the treaty was that they would be able to have as much land as a man could walk in a day and a half uh, from a certain point down in southeastern Pennsylvania. And so the Lenape Lenape Indians, to make things further complicated, uh, were governed by the Iroquois Confederacy. They were not members of the Iroquois Confederacy, but the Iroquois to uh, claim diplomatic governance over a great many tribes throughout the region, including the Lenai Lenape Indians. And they were very upset at the Lenai Lenape for signing this treaty in the first place, which ceded this land to Pennsylvania. The Lenape, of course, said, well, we didn't really sign it. We don't know what Pennsylvanians are talking about. Mm. But the Iroquois came down and, and kind of worked out this agreement with the Pennsylvanians uh, for the land. Then what the what the Pennsylvanians did was, when the Indians say walking in a day and a half, they're kind of guessing, you know, what a person would take in a, in, a, in a leisurely right? walk. Yeah. They, the Indians would think it would be a, a leisurely walk, right. and, yeah. you know, you'd stop and have lunch, and you'd chit-chat, and, you'd, you know, about a day's walk, you know, mm-hmm. maybe, you know, maybe 15, 20 miles. Well, of course, the good lawyers in Pennsylvania decided, well, a day's walk means a day's walk. We're going to measure this off by doing our own walk. And they hired three of the best uh, walkers, runners, joggers at the time that they could find. And they cleared a bunch of forest land for them so they'd have a clear path to move through. And they put bridges over any rivers or creeks that they might encounter so that nothing would be able to slow them up. And they sent these guys off at a run. And actually, several Indians were started the thing with them, and they kept complaining. These guys were running too fast, and they couldn't keep up with them. And the, the, the natives that were trying to keep up with the walk just even gave up at some point. So these guys took off for a day and a half, very little sleep, and went a huge distance. And uh, actually, one of the three, only one of the three made it the farthest. Uh, the other two had to drop out at some point from exhaustion. One of the three actually died of exhaustion uh, a few days after the oh, walk. Wow. He had exerted himself so hard. Wow. Uh, 
then on top of that, he, they'd march out to the northwest, and what they, everybody had thought was going to happen from there is you would kind of just draw a line back due east to the Delaware River, and that was your land. Well, instead of that, they drew it at a right angle and went up like another 100 miles up the Delaware River and claimed all that land as well. So the Indians lost a whole lot more land than they thought they were going to lose yeah. to begin with, and the, the uh, Pennsylvanians claimed all this land. And at that point, the uh, German-Americans yeah. who had settled here um, had their land legitimized. They could you know, have, have legitimate deeds to their land. Uh, some of them, I think, did have to repurchased land that they had been living on for a generation or two, uh, but they did get to keep their land. And uh, the Indians, sadly, were, were pushed further west. And, of course, this was uh, probably the first or second of a great many uh, treaties that they would end up signing with Pennsylvania that would continue to push them further north and further west until, sadly, almost nothing left of them in Pennsylvania. Uh, most of the Lenai Lenape who did survive ended up moving out to Pennsylvania, Michigan, some even I think went to Wisconsin and Minnesota over the course of the 19th century. People sometimes blame William Penn for it, so I like to emphasize William Penn was dead by the time this happened. He actually uh, worked very well with the natives that he encountered. Um, he famously signed a treaty with a chief uh, named Tammany, uh, with, for whom Tammany Hall in New York is named after, and they, they were in very good relations. So it was really a generation after the first settlers that the trouble with the Indians began. Something similar, I guess you could see with the Pilgrims. The Pilgrims got along very well with the Indians. Yeah. Then the Puritans moved in and took Boston, <laughs> and a generation later, you had King Philip's War and a whole mess there as well. So it's always the kids that are the problem, right? It's always the kids. <laughs> Well, let me ask you. So, where are you in the journey of the podcast? Are are you just uh, are 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 you finding yourself going back in time, or are we on a linear path? Yeah, I'm moving forward in time. As you know, we started the podcast with the French and Indian War. We went through all the pre-war era, and we're we're slowly working our way through the war itself in chronological order. Uh, right now, we're in 1779. It's uh, Kind of a, a slow point in the war, the, 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 after the Battle of Monmouth in New Jersey, uh, the British mostly settled into New York City and ended major offensive operations in, in the north. A uh, great many of the regulars were sent to other parts of the empire because France had entered the war, and so they were worried about island colonies in, in the Caribbean, and as they called it, the West Indies. They were worried about Florida, and uh, they actually late 78, invaded Georgia and took back part of that colony. But there wasn't a whole lot going on in 1779 other than that. It was a little bit of skirmishing here and there. Um, and it wasn't until there was a full-scale invasion of Charleston in South Carolina in 1780 that the war in the South really got going on a serious level. So, yeah, we're, we're in 1779 right now. Sometimes they cheat a little bit, I guess, by taking a step back. Like, I'll introduce a new person who's involved sure. in the event I'm talking about, and I'll talk about their history in the war and some of the background stuff that, that's going on with that. But, yeah, we're, we're moving our way through the war. And sadly, only got two years left, so <laughs> getting to every little point I can before we get to Yorktown. And, and what happens after that? Are you yep. go beyond the revolution? Or? That's a good question. I uh, Part of it is going to be how I feel about it at the time. I, I certainly we're going to go through the end of the war in 1783, 
uh, when they signed the treaty, uh, even though there's not a whole lot that's happening in 1782 and 1783 other than the lawyers working out the paperwork. Um, but the revolution really is more about the war, which is why sure. I started it, you know, 30 years before the Battle of Lexington. So I really would like to cover some of the early events of the federal era and how far I go with that. I don't know, but I think it would be interesting to cover the events uh, leading up to the adoption of the U.S. Constitution in 1787. Conceivably, I could get into some of the early federal administrations. Yeah. Washington, Adams, Jefferson. But yeah, as I said, I don't have a specific endpoint for the podcast. I guess it depends on whether you all get sick of me and <laughs> drift my audience drifts away or um, you want me to just keep going. Well, I need somewhere to spend my ad money. So, uh, you know. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's been an interesting trek so far. Yeah. I started the podcast in 2017. I really at the time had no idea where it was going to go, whether anyone would even be interested. Yeah. I meant to ask you, like, did, did you have a grand plan for this or you just started recording and like kind of winged it? Like did you, you, you say you, you actually started 30 years before the, or before Lexington, (laughs) you probably did that with the anticipation of like going through all of the events leading up to that and then having this wealth of knowledge available at the end of of the timeline. Right. I expected that if it was going to happen, it was going to be a, a lengthy project okay. lasting many years that I would cover the, the, the full events, the pre-war events and then the full events of the war at the very least. So, but I, I quite frankly did not know if I would get that far. I, you know, <laughs> I could get into it for a year and people yeah. could decide this sucks. Who is this guy? And, you know, I just, you know, pod fade with so many other people who yeah. started a podcast and then given up. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I did start it very seriously. I actually had originally planned on making it a blog because I really just I really wanted to do a much deeper dive into mm-hmm. the American Revolution for my own edification. Mm-hmm. And I thought sharing whatever I found in a blog might be interesting. But this was 2016 and blogs were kind of dying and mm-hmm. podcasts were all to do rage. I, I listened to a bunch of podcasts at the time. I wasn't really confident that I had the speaking voice and the, the personality for a podcast, but I figured, why not give it a yeah. shot? What else are you going to know? Yeah. Um, but I didn't jump into it. Just, you know, I didn't just go out and buy a microphone and start recording on day one. Uh, I had actually had a, a blog, a general history blog that I had started a few years earlier and I'd written a bunch of articles for, just all different points in, in history. There's things that interested me. And so the first thing I did was actually went back and recorded all of those blog episodes as a podcast just to learn how a microphone works, sure. uh, to get my voice in the proper condition for talking on a podcast, mm-hmm. hopefully avoiding the fact of saying, um, every other word. Yes, I that's, still, a, that's still a hard do thing rather to do. Poorly. It really is, yeah. But I spent a year uh, recording all of those old blog episodes just Training, learning the craft a little bit, um, trying to get my feet wet in the podcasting field, understanding how it all worked. And I, I actually did post those recordings uh, to a, a, a podcast called Unlearned History Podcast, which I do not recommend listening to. It's really amateurish and horrible, but it is out. I never even posted it to Apple or Google or any of the normal podcast sites. I think it's only available on um, on the hosting site, which 
I don't even remember where it is now. Uh, but if you search for Unlearned History Podcast, I'm sure you can find it. But as I said, you've been warned if you listen to it, the quality is, is suspect. Well, I mean, you know, normally when I'm mowing a lawn or doing, you know, housework or something like that, I usually have you on in the background. So, you know, learning, learning something while I'm doing, you know, chores is, is usually how I like to roll. So. Great. Yeah. I mean, I mean, between yours, the, the podcast is nice because it's, it's almost a passive way of learning while you're doing something else. Uh, like I love JL Bell's Boston 1775 blog, yeah. but obviously the issue with that is, is you have to sit down and take the you know time to read it. Um, you can't really, you know, multitask while, while you're doing that. So, you know, between your pod and his, his, his blog and few, few other sources, I mean, it's, it's great to see all this interest in the era and people, learning from it because I know I get a lot of, of, of inspiration for, you know, products and designs from the stuff that I learned from listening to your podcast or reading. So, um, yeah, keep, keep the information coming for sure. Absolutely love it. Yeah. It's been a lot of fun. And I think podcasting is a good, good way to learn about history casually, as you say, right, it's, right. It, 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 most people aren't going to sit down and read a thousand page book about the American <laughs> revolution. It's yeah. just, it got lives. Yeah. Uh, but right. If you're on a road trip. You can listen to it. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. I really got into listening to history podcasts myself because I had to do a lot of driving for work and I had to kill sometimes three hours on the uh -huh. road yep. and there weren't necessarily radio stations in the area I wanted to listen to. And so I thought, all right, we'll try this new podcasting thing and see how I like that. So mm -hmm. that's why I got into listening to podcasts. I really wanted a podcast about the American revolution and couldn't find a good one. And, they say, you know, <laughs> you can't find what you want, make it. So I thought, all right, let's. That's kind of where Liberty and Co. started too. You know, I, uh, I uh, wanted certain shirt, you know, designs and I wanted them made a certain way. And that's, that's pretty much what I did. I just made it myself. <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely. So, yeah. So that's, that's how the, the American Revolution podcast began. Uh, and of course, we produce weekly and, uh, I've been doing it ever since 2017. Wow. As I said, yeah, I spent I spent a year recording that other podcast. So I, so I really began podcasting in 2016, but we launched our first episode in July 2017. So let's say the podcast comes to its um, inevitable conclusion. Are there any other eras or specific points of uh, you know interest that you would start another podcast on? Yeah, that's something I've debated. I. As I said, I could very well just take this one through the early federal era. Mm -hmm. uh, I, you know, after that, you get the age of Jackson, and then you're right. heading into the Civil War. And there's there's actually a whole lot of other very good podcasts on the Civil War, so I'm not sure I want to dive into that field. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I'm not sure what I would do next. As I said, I'd, I'd hopefully this will go on for quite a few more years, especially yeah, I if so I too. if I take it into the federal era yeah. and go through the Washington administration and Adams and Jefferson. At least that's uh, you know, that's a good 20 years of content right there. And I, I certainly wouldn't cover it in the level of detail that I'd cover the Revolutionary War. Sure. But there are a lot of interesting issues that are happening during that time. You know, we talked about a few of them today. The Whiskey Rebellion, Free, Fries Rebellion, uh, Louisiana Purchase. Uh, so there's a lot interesting happening. And it is a part of the American Revolution because part of the revolution for me is – the move from a monarchical society to a democratic republic, one mm -hmm. where the people select their own government. Right. And a big part of that was 
all the U.S. constitutions and all the precedents that were set in those first few administrations by the men we call the founding fathers um, and how they did not move the government into a monarchy, but in fact kept it a, a republic and actually made it more democratic over time rather than less democratic. That's one of the, the interesting things about the American Revolution is a lot of people will complain because at the end of it, rich white men still pretty much ran everything. We still had slavery. Women could vote. There were still property requirements in most states for voting. So it wasn't really that democratic. But what the founders set in place was a goal that we were going to become more democratic over time. We had an aspiration that we would live a life where all men are created equal, that there were certain inalienable rights. And over really the next couple of generations, we saw a lot of that put in place. Property requirements pretty much disappeared during the Jackson administration. Uh, you see a lot more popular participation in government. Slavery became a very big issue in the North, which of course allowed slavery prior to the American Revolution and, and ended it everywhere in the North after the Revolution. Some of it was very slow and gradual, but they were definitely phasing it out. That really left a problem for the South, which was they really wanted to keep their slaves, yep. but they also really believed in the precepts like all men are created equal and their inalienable rights. And you really have a hard time putting those two together. Right. And so, sadly, we end up seeing a rise in racism in the South. And, and by that, I mean the, the definition, the academic definition of racism is the idea that black people are inherently inferior to white people. That, that is the textbook definition of racism. Mm -hmm. And what you see in the South is this growing idea that, yes, all men are created equal, but black people or Negroes, as they called them at the time, were not people. They were they were different from us, mm -hmm. uh, you know, a different animal almost. And you know, it, it's obviously a very offensive idea. It's one even just hard talking about today. But that was how they squared the idea of the principles on which this country was founded with the continuation of slavery. Mm -hmm. And of course, then we had to go through the, the Civil War to put that to an end. Mm -hmm. Of course, it didn't end racism, but it did end slavery and gave people rights and we struggled even for another century to give them full rights as citizens, and we're still struggling with that issue today. But that's my very, very long-winded way of saying <laughs> the American Revolution is a pro it was an ongoing process, and actually is an ongoing process. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think it's quite fair to take the American Revolution well into the growth of the United States as a country sure. uh, and still call it part of the American Revolution. So where do you, uh, what are some resources or sites or books that you use to do, do your own research on some of these topics? I use all sorts of different things. Yeah. I've certainly read hundreds of books mm -hmm. um, as I've been working my way through this process. And there's a lot of good ones out there, but I, what I really like are the really ones that really get in-depth on an issue. So like when I'm doing, say, the Philadelphia campaign or something, I, I you know, I want to read an 800-page book on the Battle of Brandywine or the Battle of Germantown or stuff like that. And there are a lot of good ones out there. I always put them uh, as links in the bottom of my uh, – there's a blog that goes with each podcast episode that has a basically a transcript of what, it, what I've just recorded. And then at the bottom of that are the books and resources that I use. So there's always great books coming out all the time. Obviously, I have a book recommendation at the end of each episode as well, which mm -hmm. is often a book that I've relied on heavily for that episode. 
another really great place to find information is archive.org, which is a, a free online site. Uh, archive.org has almost any ancient book uh, you can find, anything that's out of copyright, mm -hmm. uh, you can find on archive.org. I say that there are some obscure ones I really wish they'd have sometimes, which I can't find there, but they have quite a bit. So any any books that were written in the 19th century or early 20th century or even some contemporary stuff from the American Revolution is all on archive.org. So you can look that up and find it. That's a great place to find stuff. That's good to know. But uh, And there's a lot of other websites that have a lot of interesting resources. Mm -hmm. uh, you mentioned uh, J.L. Bell's blog, yeah. Boston 1775. Yeah. Wonderful resource, especially if you're looking for some, especially Boston. Yeah. some obscure yeah. issue yeah. that nobody else has researched. Mr. Bell has well, researched that. I find sure. his blog fascinating because it, it extends back, what, a good 12 years or so at this point? I forget when he started it, but yeah, it time. is just an encyclopedia of, of knowledge and if you've been following it long enough, you actually see the evolution of the research. Like he'll he'll have what he believes to be the truth at some point, but then later on, you know, after several years of you know finding out more, he'll actually correct that. So it's 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 been a real fascinating read. I think I've I think I've been following it for at least a good nine or ten years now. So um, yeah, he's he's one of the first places I you know go to if I have a, a question about something like you said very very obscure or like very you know detailed uh, you can usually find it on on his blog so yeah no he's he's really good I've read him for years yeah. as well and he was actually one of my initial inspirations really because he's he, a lot of people think of a blog as just some something done by a 12 year old girl who's just <laughs> chatting about you know what she had for dinner last night or something what boyfriend she likes or something and just you're very um spontaneous sure. just yeah. chatty information like you'd find in a diary or something mm -hmm. and jail bell of course is using it more as a platform for really extensive research mm -hmm. and I, don't, I don't know how he finds the time to write so much oh, yeah every research. day every single day he, he's written it's every phenomenal. day for years yeah, yeah. and um, you know it's all, all all based on original research it's not like yeah. he just goes out and reads a book and writes about it or something he is really delving into records and all sorts of primary sources and stuff like that and looking into things that no historian has ever looked at before, uh, which is why, you know, it's this obscure stuff. But, uh, yeah, so he's really digging into a lot of interesting stuff. And that, that when I was thinking about writing just a blog, that was kind of what I was thinking about doing something along the lines of. But, uh, yeah, J.O. Bell's done it so well. I should I try it? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and his book *Road to Concord*, which is probably one of my favorites, easily top top one or two favorite books from from that time period. Um, I don't know what he's working on now, but I'm sure it's exciting, and I can't wait to uh, see what he's got coming out next. Yeah, I think *The Road to Concord* might have been my first recommendation of the week. Yeah, what my a great book! Recommendation. It was written so well, it's so well researched. Yeah. yeah, for anybody who hasn't read it, it's really interesting. It's about the fact that the the Patriots stole several cannon from basically from out from under the nose of the British in Boston right before the war, and that the uh, uh, British raid that led to Concord, Massachusetts, and really began the shooting war, was an effort to recover those cannons. So yeah, it's a very interesting story. So yeah, we're here, we're here today for anyone who's just joined us at Liberty and Company, which is at. Uh, 116 East Broad Street, uh, celebrating the opening of Tyson Franz's brick-and-mortar store. Of course, you 
listen to this podcast, you must have bought something off his website by now because how could you resist it? <laughs> Just some really cool stuff from T-shirts to candles to glasses and mugs. I, I still use my uh, joiner dime mug just about every day. Well, that's good to hear. <laughs> um, and it, it, it's really good stuff, too. I mean, you can buy stuff with American Revolution logos on it anywhere on the Internet. But one of the things I really like about the stuff you make is it, it's it's really good quality stuff. And I'm not just saying that because you're a sponsor, which you are, but, you know, you're making – you're buying stuff that's handcrafted exactly, in the yeah. United States. It's yep. making by local artisans. Yep. It's just – it's really interesting products supported by, you know, people who really have a passion for making whatever they're making. Exactly. So – and that's the, that's the sort of interesting stuff you want to get. So – Obviously, business has been booming, which is why you've opened a brick-and-mortar store. And, um, yeah, we, we certainly hope that you continue to grow. And, yeah, we're moving Thank now you. into the Christmas season. So uh, how early do people have to order if they want to get their stuff by Christmas? I would say immediately <laughs> yeah. uh, because the supply chain issues are real and so are the shipping uh, problems. So um, I would say get your orders in now while I still have what I have, running low on certain things, so especially those – we the people whiskey glasses. Grab those now because uh, I don't have many left, and when they're gone, I don't know if I'll be able to get the glass to make more. So, yes, yeah. shop now, shop shop early, shop often. Yeah. So yeah, we got the Christmas season coming up soon, and then of course the the Sester Centennial is not really that far away. Um, the 250th anniversary of the Declaration of Independence is happening in 2026, mm -hmm. which is coming right up on us, and I'm I'm assuming that's really gonna engender a lot of interest in the American Revolution. We're seeing a lot more popular movies being made now in anticipation yes. of the Sester Centennial, uh, some documentaries, uh, a lot of... Uh, Ken Burns uh, documentaries. Ken, Ken Burns out, is right. working yeah. on a documentary, which I think is going to be released in, in 2025. Okay. Um, I think all that's going to really inspire interest in the American Revolution and... From what I understand, Ben Affleck and Matt Damon are working on a Bunker Hill movie. I don't know how historically accurate it'll be, but I'll take it. Yeah, but, I mean, we took the Patriot. We'll take yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, come out with that's Bunker been Hill. 21 years now since the Patriot yeah. was released, so it's been way too long. I mean, we've had Turn and John Adams and a few things here and there, but... But right, I think we'll see a lot more big-name Hollywood-type productions coming out in the next few years in anticipation, and that... that creates a more general interest in the revolution generally. Hopefully it'll encourage more interest in my podcast and more interest yep. in your store. Absolutely. That's, that's <laughs> yeah, no, I think we've done pretty well. We've covered a lot of the, <laughs> the local history here in, in Quakertown and Bucks County. Uh, if you guys are in the area, you definitely should come to Quakertown to see some of the interesting history that's happened here uh, and some of the businesses that are related to history. We talked about the Doan Distillery that, is named after the Doan outlaw gang that was here during the American Revolution. You have the the Liberty uh, Hall, which was where the Liberty Bell was hidden here during the American Revolution. Uh, you've got the Red Lion Tavern, which was a tavern actually used here uh, during the Fry's Rebellion. And uh, as, I think it's right by the tavern is, mm -hmm. is Fry's right. Rebellion right Kitchen. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. Fries Rebellion Kitchen, I think. Kitchen, okay. all, all this stuff we're talking about, along with Liberty and Company, is right here on Broad Street in Quakertown. So it's a, it's, a, it's a great place to come and spend a Saturday and just check out and um, see a little bit of American history and um, pick up some great American Revolution swag while you're at it. Absolutely. 
Yeah, thank, so are, thank you for are, coming are, in, by the way. Are, yeah, thank, are you open full-time now, or what are your hours? Uh, so I'm sort of emu uh, emulating the trolley barn hours, which is the building that I'm sort of attached to, and that's going to be Thursday through Sunday. Uh, Thursdays I'm going to be open 4 to 8, Fridays and Saturdays 12 to 8, and Sundays 11 to 4. And then during the holidays I'll probably extend that a bit, so you can check the you know website or Google or uh, social media. I'll, I'll be posting about that. So. Okay. Yeah, it sounds like your best bet is come on the weekend. Yeah, weekends, yes. Always, uh, yep, yep. Awesome. Either Friday or Saturday is usually best. So. All right. Well, great. Well, thanks so much for hosting us today. It was a real pleasure to be here. Thanks, Mike. Well, thanks, everyone, for joining us on the American Revolution podcast. I hope you'll see us next week again when we return to our regular programming. Thanks again. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential, and then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you can make sure that your ride stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, exhaust kits, turbochargers, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Once again, I'd like to thank Tyson Franz for inviting me to put on my podcast at the grand opening of his store at Liberty & Co. in Quakertown, Pennsylvania. We had a really good time. I think we covered a lot of interesting topics. And I got a chance to catch up with some of you who made it to the event. So, all in all, a great time. Next week, we're going to return to our regular programming. We're going back to 1779 to cover the British Battle at Stono Ferry in South Carolina. Well, that's all for this week. I hope you will join me next week for another American Revolution podcast. The French Revolution set Europe ablaze. It was an age of enlightenment and progress, but also of tyranny and oppression. It was an age of glory and an age of tragedy. One man stood above it all. This was the Age of Napoleon. I'm Everett Rummage, host of the Age of Napoleon podcast. Join me as I examine the life and times of one of the most fascinating and enigmatic characters in modern history. Look for the Age of Napoleon wherever you find your podcasts.